I'm trying not to get too carried away, but if my voice squeaks a little bit at the end here, you'll understand. Uh, folks, we are a privileged people indeed to be able to worship together and to think on all that Christ did for us. And it is really poignant, is it not, that as we celebrate the new life that we have through our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that first and foremost, we must talk about death and focus on Christ's death and all that means for us as well. Turn to Matthew 28. Actually, we're going to start technically in chapter 27, verse 57. Just go quickly through a little bit of background here in a minute. But as wondrous as it is to celebrate our risen Savior, we must remember, and even this past week, we've taken lots of time to focus with our boys on what this week meant and what Christ did for us. That terrible death, and it truly was terrible, that crucifixion, that cruel, torturous crucifixion on a cross, folks, Jesus had to endure for his shed blood to provide cleansing and forgiveness of sin for all of us to trust and depend on his name. I hope that names everyone here today that you truly are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation. And you, you will not be sorry for that. And yet, even in his willingness to do that, his atoning death, all that he went through. That righteous man that was sacrificed for our sins. Folks, he couldn't stay in the grave. He couldn't stay dead and in the grave, or we would still not enjoy new life in victory. And we'll see today that he was raised from the dead. At the end of chapter 27, after this Beautiful, yet terrible sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. A number of activities were quickly set into motion. And if you'll look back, Matthew 27, verse 57. Something to understand, this is terrible to contemplate, but unfortunately it was standard procedure at this time. It was common, folks, for crucified criminals to be left hanging on those crosses for, let's just say, a long time in order for people to view that as a warning for others not to follow in their criminal ways. Well, as you can imagine, to the Jewish mind especially, this was abhorrent. And so they would quickly move to seek permission to bury the Jewish criminals in a common grave, still no honor involved, but at least they wouldn't be there. But on the other hand, with Jesus, he is accorded full, full honor. That is fulfillment, right? Isaiah 53, 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Well, that rich man, his name was Joseph of Arimathea. And he was becoming a more devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And really, we kind of lose that sometimes in this, but this was a very bold, committed thing for Joseph to do, that he would actually go to Pilate 
the second request from the Jews and asked for Pilate to allow him to take down the body of our Savior. Look again. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate boldly and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered that it should be given to him. Why did Pilate do that, by the way? This wasn't common. Pilate had every right from the Roman standpoint to say, no, that's not how we do things. I think the best answer is Pilate, remember, he also was not convinced of the guilty of Christ, and yet he had to, he was pretty much forced to, by the Messiah's own people, to crucify Christ in this way. And so when he's asked this, I think he's very willing to let Jesus be taken down and honored in this way. And so in verse 59, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, also a fulfillment of Scripture, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Now, this couldn't have been done all by one man. There's too much here. Taking the body off the cross, wrapping him, and all these things would have taken. And if you remember in the Gospel of John, we saw last year, he had the help of one of the Sanhedrin, one of the religious leaders, Nicodemus, helped him in this. And probably because Joseph was a rich man, he had many servants that helped him in this way as well. They took the body down. John tells us that Jesus was prepared his body with pounds of spaces. That's only something you do for royalty, by the way, and was put in this very uh, wealthy man's tomb and buried there. Interestingly, the stone in a tomb like this would have been situated in an inclined groove that would have made the, the stone easy to push and to seal, but very, very difficult to roll back up again. It would take more than just a couple disciples, folks, to roll that stone away. And that's important as we continue to look at the narrative this morning. The women come in verse 61, and really they're helpless witnesses here. But they witness the placing of the body in the tomb. 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. And remember the importance that the Bible stresses on witnesses. There must be at least two or two or three witnesses are gathered together. There you have you have co co collaboration, collaboration, excuse me. Um, you have uh, fulfilled testimony. You have proof that something has happened. And so all of this is in the face of witnesses, many witnesses. And another thing interesting, in this time period, women were often accepted as witnesses, and yet these are the very uh, people that are honored, that Jesus honors to have this position, and they are witnesses in this. Well, all of this, as you probably know, does not satisfy the religious leaders. They want to go even further. They want to, in fact, remove all the potentiality of the followers of Christ to manipulate events in their minds, which, of course, would really have been a sheer impossibility. What they describe next would have been impossible for any followers of Jesus to do. But look at verse 62. The next day, that is, 
after the day of preparation, preparation for the sacrifices, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they have a third request now for Pilate, and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, remember, there's no belief here. These men do not believe in Jesus Christ. He's an imposter. But he said while he was still alive, after three days, I will, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure unto the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And of course, I've just described even big, strong Roman soldiers had trouble rolling that stone away on that incline. It would have been impossible for Jesus' followers, and certainly if we're including the, the women there as well, for them to somehow move that stone. And yet these men are in a state of anxiety over this, and they say the last fraud will be worse than the first. There's a number of ironic things I don't want you to miss in this. These religious leaders who obviously don't believe Jesus' words remembered what he said, while his disciples have totally forgotten the fact that Jesus said that he would rise in three days. They couldn't have rolled the stone away because they didn't even remember this point, Jesus' words. The religious leaders do remember them, and they take extra steps here. But something else even more important, um, these leaders are anxious that a disappearance of Jesus' body will cause them more headaches and challenges than ever. But folks, what their words should have meant to them, what they should have seen is their own belief would make things worse than the first. Their own unbelief would further cement their own spiritual disaster as they continue their rejection of their Savior. Well, Pilate is agreed. Verse 65 said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And perhaps the women were there witnessing this as well. Folks, everything that could be done to keep Jesus in that tomb from a man's standpoint, from mankind's standpoint, was done. The authority of the Roman Empire. That tomb would have been sealed with a wax seal that meant if you dare break this seal and try to move this stone, which really was almost an impossibility anyway, you are in direct defiance of the Roman emperor, of Pilate as well, and his rulership, and all of these things. Everything that mankind could do to keep Jesus in the tomb. And nearby, the followers of Jesus are helplessly viewing these things. Seemingly separated from their Savior. But we know the end, don't we? They will not be separated, folks, from him much longer. And that's where the beginning of chapter 28 comes in. Jesus is no longer in the grave. And we'll find out at the end of this passage that he is with us always. And so... We'll first of all see that his resurrection was witnessed by many. Chapter 28, verse 1, very early on the Sunday morning after the Sabbath, we'll see here Mary Magdalene and the other Gospels tell us some other women. Here we find another Mary, but there's others as well. They go to um, see the tomb. 
to see the body, maybe prepare the body further. Now after the Sabbath, this would have been on Sunday, or the dawn of the first day of the week, this would have been very early on in the day. The other, the other Gospels tell us maybe even as dawn is approaching, while it's still dark out, these ladies make their way, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and there were others as well, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And in that great earthquake is the really only description that we have of what actually happened at that moment that Jesus rose from the dead, but it made an impression upon all those. Can you imagine the women as they were going to the tomb and the ground is shaking? And these great mighty Roman soldiers that Pilate has allowed um, to guard this tomb are shaken, probably have fallen down. And Jesus in that moment, he doesn't need a stone rolled away. He rises from the dead and the angel now comes down in victory. And he just sits there. The other Gospels tell us there were actually two angels, but this one focuses on the one with his victory stance, and he just sits on top of that tomb, on top of the stone, rolls it away. It's no problem for this man, for this angel, to roll away this stone. No effort at all. He descends from heaven, and then he sits on it, waiting for the followers of Jesus to tell them, give them further information. Um, one commentator, I liked this, said it this way. As it says, um, well, let's, let's read further. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Those powerful Roman soldiers see the appearance of this mighty angel and they faint. <laughs> commentator said the ones assigned to guard the dead themselves appear as dead while the dead now have been made alive and all the efforts the best efforts of mankind to keep jesus in that tomb are of no avail folks and remember he didn't need the angel to roll away the stone he was already risen from the dead at that point and the angels then speaks to the women if the roman soldiers were terrified to the point of fainting I'm sure those ladies were a little nervous too. And so really he commands them not to be afraid. And really, folks, isn't it true? At this point, although we can understand their fear, they don't know what's just happened. Fear for the followers of Jesus Christ is totally inappropriate at this point. And it's inappropriate today as well. We don't have to fear because our Savior is risen. And he says, verse 5, the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. They were seeking a dead, lifeless body. And the angel says, You're not going to find a dead, lifeless body here. For he is risen. He's alive. Verse 6, he has risen as he said. He told you. The religious leaders remembered it. But it's okay. He's risen from the dead. And he's even provided you evidence. He's already gone. But you come and you see the place where he lay. The stone was rolled away so that these witnesses could look into the empty tomb. 
and he expects them to do this. And then he expects something else from them. And that is to witness to the others of this marvel, amazing, marvelous, amazing event. Verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Don't stay here marveling. I should say at this point, from what we can tell from um, the, the gospel accounts, it seems Mary Magdalene uh, quickly, as soon as she saw that something was uh, amiss, she ran back to get Peter and John probably didn't even see the angel. Peter and John come running uh, later on after the ladies uh, run uh, or, or rush back to tell the disciples. And so there's a lot going on here at once. And Mary then, after Peter and John walk off, she's left there in the garden and sees Jesus for herself. So there's a lot of things happening at the same time here. But at this point, it seems Mary has gone to get Peter and John. And the angel says, you go tell the disciples what has happened. And remember what he told you. Remember his instructions. He is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. And this is an expectation. I have told you. I have given you witness. Now it is your responsibility to give that witness and testimony to others, to his followers. Now, I know that he says here he is going before you to Galilee, and if you remember your Bible maps, that's way north. Where Jesus had his uh, mentoring discipleship ministry with these men. And we know there are a lot of things that still happened in Jerusalem at this point as well. Um there's a number of various appearances that would still need to happen in Jerusalem. And remember the men on the Emmaus Road and all of these things. But that's not Matthew. Matthew is the writer of this gospel. That's not his focus. He, God, The Holy Spirit has left that for others to tell in Luke and John of those appearances. And Matthew's appear, uh, focus is that all... Um, is directed toward eventually meeting back up again in Galilee. Because where these men were mentored and where he taught them, he would now commission them to go. And so the focus there is Galilee, and it's appropriate. Matthew wants us to remember that these men needed, they were imperfect. They were very, uh, oh, uh, immature believers when Christ started. But when Jesus leaves, they're ready for service. And he'll give them that service in a minute. So anyway, so verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. They're still fearful trying to remember, trying to think about all this. What's going on? What's happening? Reverent fear. I don't think we should think of terror at this point, but at the same time, it's mixed with great joy. Because they believe what the angel has said. And the joy is about to get more intense here. They ran to tell his disciples. And at this point, verse 9, Jesus meets them on the road back to town. And he says, greetings. And his greetings matches their joy. And can you imagine that moment? I do believe, from what I can tell, that Jesus has already appeared to Mary. Mary would have run back, maybe appeared to her. Um, and talked with her, and now he appears to these women as they go back and they tell the disciples. And they came, noticed their response to the risen Savior. 
first response that should be our response as well, folks, and that is worship. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And as we focus and think on a risen Savior today, that is why we're here. That is why we meet together in this glorious fashion and worship and sing and pray in all these things, because our response to the truths of the resurrection is to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so these ladies do this as well. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. They're still struggling with this, still kind of fearful, anxious, what's going on? He says again, don't be afraid. You go do what you've been told to do. Tell my brothers to go to, Gal to, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Note Jesus' familial relationship with his followers. He is the risen Lord. He's accomplished everything that these men, that his followers needed to be cleansed of their sin, to be reconciled with God, and now he refers to them as his brothers. And Jesus today, folks, refers to us as his brothers and sisters because we're reconciled to God through his death and his resurrection. His resurrection made it possible, gave victory over sin, death, hell, Satan. And he's able to reconcile us with God. We today are family together because of the risen Savior. Well, the ladies are going to rush off. There's going to be another rush here in a minute of some Roman guards. And it made me think of a story oh, not too long ago. I've told this to some of you before. Uh, yeah, Our boys are, are enthusiastic about New Hampshire, and they enjoy a lot of the different things. They enjoy um, having uh, the fields out back and uh, exploring in different things. And many times they'll come running in. So excited about something and tell us just saw this or we just did this or whatever but one time two of our boys we were sitting there at lunch and they were late and they and we saw them running from the the windows in the, that sunroom in our, in our home that we're renting they were running through the bushes and they came in they almost out of breath and they said mom dad you'll never guess what we saw like okay well then tell us i don't like guessing games i want to know we saw a cute little bear cub just over in the trees over there, and we want to go follow him. <laughs> well, let's talk about that some more. And thankfully, of course, then I ended up after I said, the last thing you do, boys, is follow a bear cub, especially if you don't see the mom around because she's close by. And then the very next thing I did after lunch is we went out and we looked anyway. That's kind of dumb. <laughs> But the excitement of maybe from a careful distance, seeing that bear would have been neat and it would have been a neat thing. We never did find that cub. Maybe, maybe his mother had died and he was wandering around by himself. That wasn't something I wanted our boys to investigate and find out more about. There was a joy in that, but we had to be careful. But in this, as these ladies run to disciples, folks, there's full joy without any inhibition. Their Savior has risen from the dead. And there is joy and excitement as they go to tell the disciples. There's another group, though, that's not so excited. Verse 11. And while the ladies were going, behold, some of the guard 
ran, rushed to the city, you could say, and they told the chief priest all that had taken place. The earthquakes, the fainting, boy, that had to be embarrassing. I mean, these were men that were known, and, and really, if they failed in their duty, they could be executed, and they know that, by the way. They probably never fainted before in their lives. And here in this earthquake and the power of God and the power of Jesus Christ working, they have a lot. They have been greatly humbled, these men. And interestingly, Pilate is directly over the Roman guards. Why didn't they go to him? Because they knew there was a good possibility that they would be executed once they once was found out that the one thing they were supposed to do is watch that tomb and keep that stone covering the entryway. And they totally failed. Now, these Roman soldiers are very nervous. But interestingly, the religious leaders are fully developed in their lie. They're fully enveloped in their deceit. And it doesn't seem to move them at all. So these Roman soldiers take counsel and they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, here's what we're going to tell people. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. We know that sounds ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, right? We've already covered that. There's no way that this could have happened. And if this comes to the governor's ears, that's Pilate. We'll take care of things. Probably talking about a bribe there. And keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And all this tells me, folks, is that if you want to reject the clear testimony of the resurrection, then you'll buy anything. This is, uh, this is a lame excuse as best for the disciples to be able to somehow take out the Roman guards and roll that stone and take the body away without the and, and they say while they're asleep could, the roman guards as trained as well as they were could they really fall asleep and not hear people at the tomb grunting and trying to push i mean this whole thing is ridiculous but they need a story and the leaders are already enveloped they're, they're submerged in their lie and this is what we're going to do and we're just going to bribe and we're going to be deceitful and it's all going to work out the very best that man could do to keep Jesus in the grave, folks, it was a total failure and humiliating for those that tried. And yet the religious leaders are embracing are emboldened and brazen in this. They don't even seem to care. And so that rumor continued until this day, the writing of this, and even you hear this today. How about even, even something more ludicrous? The swoon theory. Heard that? Well, Jesus just because of the pain just swooned on the cross and then he revived in the tomb. And okay. You had multiple witnesses to his death, his being taken down from the cross, the tomb. And then if that were possible on such a tortured, beaten man, could he really roll back that stone? The whole thing is ludicrous. And people still use this today. If you want to reject the true evidence of the resurrection, folks, you'll buy anything, no matter how lame. Well, Jesus is risen, and now he will, we will see that he is present with his disciples, and that means as well, folks, that he is with us today. 
His resurrection provided instruction for his disciples. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now this is after this kind of sprung ahead. And this would be after the events of the Passover. And then you had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And then um, the uh, another feast uh, on the, of first fruits as well. And so after that, the disciples would have returned back to their homeland, the region of Galilee, and also to meet up with Jesus as he had told them to do. So this is, uh, you know, over a week later or more, they assemble in Galilee to the mountain to where Jesus had directed them. He gave them specific instructions about where he wanted them to meet. And what is the first thing that they do when they see him again? After multiple appearances. But here in Galilee, they worship him. Again, it is totally appropriate for us to be here today singing the praises of Jesus Christ and worshiping him. That is the response that is expected. Well, Jesus had some more teaching and instructions for them as well. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because of that authority, you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus stresses here that he now has, because of what he's accomplished, all authority as king to expect his followers to do whatever he commanded them. Now, of course, he had that authority before, but now, in a specially significant way, he is king. And he would soon then ascend and take the position of the right hand of God, which is a position of royalty and power. And in that authority that, the, that God the Father has given him, he now calls his disciples to do something, to commission, to command them. And he says not just to evangelize, not just to tell people about me. It's much more a, a broader expectation than that, but to make disciples. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to share Christ with others, folks. That's a part of this. But when we share Christ and we leave it at that, and we don't follow through and encourage baptism, as is talked about next, and then continuing to teach folks the ways of what Christ has given us through his word to help them understand that we have not truly obeyed this commandment. It's much more than not mere evangelism, because they must hear the, uh, the truth of the gospel, but we must carry them along and help them further afterwards. That's all a part of this. We must not be satisfied with simply telling people about Christ. We want to see them baptized. We want to take time to teach them God's word and be a regular instrument of growth in their lives. I think that's one thing in the past that even with a lot of evangelism programs and things that we've had, uh, not I don't know here, but even in the past 30 years or so, there was a real emphasis on giving the gospel and having them say a prayer and they're saved and great. Hope you find a good church. We'll see you later. Folks, that's not obedience to this commandment. But it is no, you, you continue alongside them. Make sure they're obedient to God. Be baptized. And then teach them God's word and be a continued useful tool for Christ in their lives. Well, that's hard. It is. That's a lot to expect. 
And that's why Jesus says what he does here at the end. He doesn't leave us to do this work on our own. I'm sure in uh, all of you and your different work capacities have had employers that you really appreciated and those, well, maybe not so much. And those that probably appreciate the least are the ones that say, here's the job, get it done. My hands are off. And there's no real instruction or there's no further help. For now, there's a certain aspect in the job where you have to, you're being paid to do the work, certainly. But isn't it nice when you have the proper explanation, explanation of what you're supposed to do and then you're given the right tools to get the job done? And folks, Jesus doesn't leave us to do this by ourselves, but he gives us his power. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be able. He abides literally with us to enable us to be fruitful and persevere. And these beautiful words that are a wonderful way to end this service this morning. He says, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. As a side note here, but very important, why do we use the Trinity formula in this? In baptism? Because it is a symbol, it is a recognition of the fellowship, the restored fellowship that we have with literally the Trinity. The direction of the Father in our lives, the power of the Son, and the guidance of the Spirit is ours for those that have trusted Christ. And we experience all of that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That takes time. The Bible, it could have been a lot bigger, but it's good size. It takes time to teach people all the words that Christ has given us and that God has given us. And so we need to take that time. And again, that's hard, but he says here at the end, behold, you remember this. He says, behold, it's almost like a parent taking his child, their child's face in their hands and saying, remember, look at me. I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us until he returns. And then he's with us for all eternity. So there's really no excuse, is there, for not obeying the Great Commission. I can't do it. You're right. I can't do it either. I can't even get up here and preach without the power of Christ. Jesus is risen, folks. And his resurrection assures us of his presence and power in our lives. I think of two other things as well. If there is someone here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet, then you are, are one that um, is seeking and is unfulfilled and feels surely the sense of loneliness and despair and trying to fill that gap, that hole in your life with all kinds of different things. And um, sooner or later, hopefully, people realize that there's only one thing that can satisfy us and help us and enable us to go on in this terrible world, and that's the presence of Jesus Christ. When we talk with folks, we want to share with them Christ so that they can have true spiritual satisfaction that they can't get anywhere else because they don't have his presence with them continually. No matter what 
um, royal family member they may have or what best friend they may have, none of those folks will be able to be as loyal and as constantly abiding with us as Jesus can. And when people realize the relationship they can have with Christ as the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and they see their need for him, the glory is when they accept him, they understand that he abides with them. And all else may reject us, and Jesus stays with us. And, you know, we all forget that. It says here, I skipped over it, um, verse 17, they worshiped him, but some doubted. How is that possible? You doubt him at this point. Well, doubting in this, in the Greek word actually here means more like hesitated. In other words, they believed, but sometimes they just weren't so sure. Well, I think if we're not all too spiritual, try to act too spiritually minded here, we can all understand that. There are times where we have great faith, and there are other times where situations and difficulties and think pressures press upon us, and we start to hesitate. Lord, I have weak faith right now. I need your help. I am a man. I am a woman of little faith. Sometimes we stray from Christ, and Jesus lets us feel that sense of loneliness. Sometimes in all of our lives as believers, we can have times where we're trying to operate on our own and depend upon ourselves and be confident in our own ability. And I think Jesus lets hard things happen into our lives to remind us, you need me. I am with you always. I'm here for you. But you have to depend upon me. And I'm going to let things get a little hard right now. I'm going to let situations get desperate. So that you will remember that I am with you always. And you'll depend upon me. We all need that reminder from time to time. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ provides the presence of Christ for his children continually for all time so that we can do what he's called us to do make disciples be instruments of growth in other people's lives we can accomplish this but folks if you're hesitating today turn back to him turn back to jesus christ and expense experience that fulfilling relationship his closeness his power his guidance that's available to all who believe. Because he is risen and risen indeed, we have all we need till he returns to serve him faithfully. Father, thank you for these beautiful words. Jesus has resurrected. He is living today. And he is with his followers today. And he will be for all eternity. Or it, 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 times get hard. Things get hard and we struggle at times. We hesitate. Father, I'm sure there are many here today that are hesitating and wondering, Lord, I, I, I believe in you, but I'm having a hard time right now. Help them to understand that Jesus is still right there with them and they can return and repent and come back. 
Lord, we all need that. I need that as well. Father, if there are those here today that truly have not trusted Christ and they don't have a relationship with him, may today be the day that we seek him and trust in him and have new life through him. And let all of us rejoice in our risen Savior. And if he were to come back today, we would shout hallelujah. But help us to be faithful until that takes place. Thank you for this opportunity to worship our Savior as his disciples did back then. Help us to be obedient worshipers until he returns. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.